All right, well, let me, let me just begin by reading uh, the first three verses. I think this will serve as a great way to introduce the psalm. I think the theme will come clear as we read the first few verses, and then we'll spend some time just talking through this as we work through it. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So as we get into Psalm 27 this morning, we are getting a very important reminder one that we need to hear again and again, that we can find courage through Christ. And that is especially important because life is difficult. It is, it is painful. There are lots of things in which we can be afraid of. And uh, the Christian life is, is not going to remove all fear from your life, but it will give you someone to cling to in the midst of your fear. And I think that this psalm is in our Bible and many, many other passages like it uh, that tell us that we don't have any reason to be afraid. Someone once said, I think it was actually, I think Rick Warren popularized the idea. I think he's wrong about this, but that's okay. Uh, the sentiment, I think, is true in some way, that he said that there were 365 times the Bible says, do not fear. I don't think that's actually true. I don't think it says it quite that many times, but it does say it hundreds of times. That is true, at least well over 100. I didn't actually count it up, so if you want to take the time this week and give me an email, that would be great. I, you can take the time to count. But, there, but it is true, the sentiment is true that God's word gives us many, many, many occasions in which we're told not to be afraid. And this is one of them. This is one of those passages. And uh, the reason why it is so con uh, consistently saying these things to us is because we are afraid. We are fearful people. Every one of us has felt the sting of fear that emotional response to something that's happening. And we probably feel it to some degree, uh, to various degrees, probably every day, right? That's, that's kind of the, the thing. And uh, there's just so many ways in which we can be drawn into fear. Now, we may not always call it fear, right? We may not call it, use that term. The terms that tend to be used now would be wor words like worry or anxiety, and, and there's certainly uh, reality there, and that's, that's like it's part of being human. At the same time, we are people who walk by faith and have a, have a Savior who is with us in the midst of those fears, worries, anxieties. And if we think about it, uh, if we think about the ways in which we can be afraid, that there's no end to the list that we could make, probably. Right? Just broad categories. We can fear rejection or fear failure, or fear disease, or, or fear war, or financial hardship, or, or there can be fears that are generated from culture wars. 
And, and that's, just the, that's just the reality we live in the, a world that is just rife with things to be afraid of. So it's no surprise then that the Bible tells us hundreds of times perhaps, certainly many, many times, that there is n- no need to live in that fear. Right? It's not, it's not ever telling us, when it says do not be afraid, it, I don't think the Bible's suggesting that you're never going to feel the, the fear. Right? It's an emotional response and it's even in some way, it's just a, it's a human response, right? So we're going to feel the fear. I think when the Bible says, do not fear, it is pointing us to the reality that we can't live in the fear. We can't camp there. We can't find our, ourselves staying there. We, we can't live in fear, but we ought to live by faith in Christ. And so this psalm begins with a beautiful reminder that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in that fear because the Lord is my light and my salvation. So David writes, whom shall I fear? And then he says, the Lord is my stronghold, the stronghold or the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So he repeats it twice. He gives himself three reasons why he doesn't have to live in fear. And that is because the Lord is his light the Lord is his salvation, and the Lord is his refuge. All all of which are things that combat fear, right? Light is something we all as children intuitively understand where probably all of us have had this universal experience of being afraid of the dark at some point in our life. And then the lights come on and we go, oh, okay, That, that noise is nothing or that shadow is just something in my imagination, whatever, right? The light sheds safety under the situation. Salvation and the the refuge or stronghold imagery that's used here is the same thing. We're going somewhere where there's protection and where there's rescue. C.S. Lewis captures this idea really well. And I'm going to give you a a bunch of Lewis today. But you know why? I'll I'll just tell you on the front end why I'm going to give you a bunch of Lewis. Because, and I always do, you know that. And you're like, oh, what's different this week? Um, but no, I, I'm going to give you a couple Lewis quotes because Lewis wrote a lot about the, the issues of fear and anxiety because he, he felt it, he understood it. His, if you read a biography about him at all, his, his father was an incredibly anxious person, uh, almost smotheringly so. And, and Lewis being raised in a household where, where he had a very anxious father. His mother had died when he was very young. And so his father just became kind of neurotic um, and, and really p- pushed Lewis down quite, quite hard. And so I think Lewis reckoned, reckoned with those things. And as he began to write in his adulthood after his conversion to Christ, he began to see these themes come out. So they, they come all over the place in his writings. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia uh, very profoundly Um, but in other writings as well. But there's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, that I think just captures this idea super clearly. Um, If you've never read that book, uh, it's about um, some some children that get onto a a voyage, a ship, and they're sailing the the seas uh, and visiting these different islands uh, around, you know, past Narnia throughout through the sea. And they come to an island which uh, takes them into utter darkness. And they, they meet a man in the sea who's just floating in the sea, screaming at the top of his lungs in terror. 
And that man tells the ship, uh, the people on the ship, this is an island where dreams come true, uh, but not the good kind of dreams, <laughs> the real dreams, the scary dreams, the nightmares. And so the, the ship, the people uh, sailing the ship begin to panic and they start to try to get out of this darkness. And they're, they're, they're sailing and they're, or they're, they're rowing and rowing and they don't know which way is right or wrong, up or down. They're, they're totally in darkness. So Lewis says this, he, he paints this picture with this, the girl Lucy, who is one of the main characters. It says, Lucy leant her head on the edge of the fighting top and whispered, Aslan, who is the Christ figure in the story, as you probably know, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, send us help now. And, and here's what Lewis says. I love this. He says, the darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a little, a very little better. Lucy looked along the beam and, and saw something in it. She, first it looked like a cross, then like an airplane, and then it looked like a kite. And at last, with a whirring of wings, it was overhead and it was an albatross. And it called out in a strong, sweet voice, which seemed like words, but no one understood them. And after it spread its wings, it rose and began to fly slowly ahead. The captain steered after it, not doubting that it offered good guidance. But no one except Lucy knew that it had circled, as it circled the mass, it whispered to her, courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. And so that, that paints a beautiful picture of how Jesus can meet us in the darkness of our lives, right? That Jesus is the light of our lives, our salvation. And, and that's just one little picture from a child's book that Lewis paints, but how universally understood that is as Christians, where we're walking through what seems to be, at least metaphorically, complete darkness, and yet we know we have this Savior who comes to our aid and our help. And though the darkness may not always lift right away, we begin to be changed and helped. And I just think that's helpful. And again, it goes back to what Jesus says about himself in John 8, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, light of life rather. Um, so we see this, this psalm begin with a reminder that we have no reason to be afraid because we have Jesus, we have Christ as our light, our salvation, our stronghold, and that he will carry us. And what's interesting is we keep reading this psalm, verse two and three, it's like David starts in verse one with, hey, I don't have to be afraid. And then he gives us in verse two and three, some real reasons to be afraid, <laughs> like, like actual reasons to be terrified, like evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Well, that's, that's something to be scared of, right? I, I don't think that that's necessarily describing literal can cannibalism, but the idea of like being so attacked by your enemies that it's like they're going to eat up your flesh, that, that his adversaries and foes are all around him but it's they who stumble and fall. And then he says, there's an army that encamps against me. And even though that happens, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So when you think about this, it's, he starts with, there's a, a God who is here for us. He is our light, our salvation, our stronghold. And so we have no reason to be afraid, even if the things that we most fear 
become true, which is that we would be done, we'd be destroyed, or that war would rise against us. We can be confident and faithful people to Christ because he is the light and salvation. So we're seeing that Jesus being the light of the world is the one that we cling to in the midst of all of these fears. As we keep going through this, I think the rest of this psalm gives us further reasons for why we don't need to live in fear. Though we may feel fear, we don't need to camp there and live our lives there. Look, look at verse four, and four through six with me. It says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter rather, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. One of the key reasons that David draws out here for why we don't need to live in our fear is because the Lord is our shelter and an ever active protection. He, he is presenting this picture of going to the house of the Lord for safety, right? Jesus is, is our refuge, our protection. And he is ultimately the one who preserves us and protects us. Now, we have to, we have to be clear on this point as Christians that we're not, we're not seeking ultimately the protection of our physical lives here. What Jesus truly protects us for is eternity. He keeps us forever. And that's a much better deal. We may die. We will die, in fact. That is just kind of how it works. You should know that by now. Um, we will go, go into disease or sickness or old age or whatever it may be. But if we are in Christ, we have a protection that doesn't just remain here in these 70, 80, or, or whatever years we have, but it's actually forever, for eternity, forever with him, that Jesus protects us, guards us, and keeps us. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about this as uh, through the analogy of being our shepherd, and he says that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life, he says, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so again, Jesus is showing us that there is an eternal protection and safety that, yes, I think we can ask for and, and hope for and Pray for the Lord to protect us in this life. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But our greatest hope and our greatest need is an eternal protection, eternal safety that keeps us in Jesus. And that's what we have through him. He tells us that he gives us eternal life. He tells us that we will never perish and that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Now, King David, as he wrote these words before Christ, understood the, the idea of being in the presence of God 
involved being in a physical temple or tabernacle. But what we know from the New Testament is that Jesus Christ becomes the fulfillment of that. The presence of God is no longer confined to the walls of a tent or uh, or a structure in Jerusalem, but is actually um, universal through the Holy Spirit. That we have become, in fact, the temples of of, of God through his spirit living in us and loving us and leading us. And so the, the comfort that we get from this, though, though David's mind frame or mindset is, I'm going to go to the temple, the physical tabernacle uh, of God to find this safety. We don't have to flee to a physical place for that because God is within us through the spirit. And so we are united to Jesus by faith and that is what keeps us secure. The Apostle Paul also gives us some understanding of this in his own life as he wrote to Timothy at the very end of his life. Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, was, was the last letter, they think at least, that Paul wrote, uh, at least of the ones in, recorded in Scripture. He probably wrote letters that weren't as well, but the, the second letter to Timothy gives us Paul's frame of mind as he is looking at the end of his own life, as he is sitting in a Roman prison, and uh, which was just a, a pit in the ground um, with bars over the top of it. And he's clearly, how could you not be suffering in that situation? He asks for Timothy to bring him his coat because he's cold, right? I mean, there's just some practical things that Paul is suffering from. But even as he's at the end of this, he, I think Paul was, was of clear mind and knowing that he's not going to make it through this ultimately, physically. Uh, he, he has an amazing thing that he says that shows us where his heart is. He writes in verse 16 through 18 of 2 Timothy 4, at my first defense, meaning the first time he stood trial, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. That's that's encouraging just in itself because here all of his buddies didn't show up to support him, probably for legitimate reasons in some cases, but he doesn't hold that as a point of bitterness in his life. That that shows that the gospel's working in Paul's life at this point. And then Paul says this, but the Lord, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So in that sense situation, in the first trial, he was rescued from being fed to lions and and was given a chance to continue on. And he was given strength by God to preach the gospel in that courtroom. But then here's how Paul concludes this thought. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul's confidence is not in that he wouldn't pass through death, but that he would have an eternal hope in Christ, that that the Lord will rescue him from every evil deed ultimately and bring him, deliver him safely to the heavenly kingdom that Christ has secured for him. And every one of us can cling to these words for ourselves. This is true for all of us who are believers in Jesus. So we see that 
there is reason to not live in fear because the Lord protects us eternally. And whatever may happen to us in body cannot remove Christ's protection from us eternally. Secondly, we see this in verse 7 through 10. You want to follow with me here. It says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. Um, Hide not, uh, sorry, my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Let's read uh, verse 13 as well. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So here's, I think, the theme of those verses. David, rather, is is, uh, praying. He's, He's talking directly to the Lord in these verses. And he is, he's saying a, a lot of things here. There's a lot of words we could unpack. But I think the overall arching issue here is this, that we can, we can live our lives not bound by fear because the Lord is good to us even when people are terrible to us. That the Lord will not forsake us. The Lord will not reject us even when we live in a world in which people are awful at times. And listen, we all need to hear this because we all live in the real world (laughs) and we all have relationships in which we go, wow, that's, that's a rough one. I'm not sure I like this relationship. We all understand that. We've all faced that. There's, there's brokenness in this world. And there, there's also just downright cruelty in this world. And yet the confidence that, that King David is expressing here that all believers can express is that we don't have to live in fear because the Lord is good to us even when people are not. Let me point out a couple of, of points here. Verse 10. Listen to these, this verse. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. Let's just stop there and think about that. Now, some translations translate this as, if my father and mother have forsaken me. I think regardless of whether David is expressing something that has actually happened to him or something that could have theoretically happened to him, I don't think is the, is the issue. The issue is, is that to think about a relationship as close as father and mother are meant to be and that those people, the people who gave us life, would forsake us. I don't know that there's anything more heartbreaking that we can experience as human beings. And I, I, know, I know that uh, from my own life, I know from talking to so many people uh, in this room and beyond this room, um, that parent wounds are real and they actually really do affect us long-term. They do. And I know 
you know, we can, we can kind of roll our eyes at that and go, try to be tough and whatever. But there's a reality in which what has happened in our lives, even if there's good intentions uh, and difficult things happen, that does affect every one of us generationally, right? Because our, our parents were impacted by their parents who were impacted right, by their parents and just goes through. And you can see at times this chain of dysfunction and brokenness until Christ comes in to deal with his, uh, his, the sins in that, that family's life and brings the gospel hope and works through things. But even then it takes time to get through this. And so here you see David expressing this reality that fathers and mothers may forsake their own children. And maybe you felt that in your life. I don't know. I don't know your whole story, obviously, but you know. But where's the gospel comfort in this verse? It's at the very end. The word, but the Lord will take me in. So though our father and mother may forsake us, the Lord won't forsake us. He will receive us. He will take us in. That's why I think the, the, the way in which God presents himself throughout Scripture as Father is, is so important for us to grasp. And we have to also be careful not to interpret God's fatherhood, the fatherhood of the first member of the triune God, in, in the, through the lens of our own fathers who were imperfect sinners. Right? And it's very easy for us to do that and go, well, my dad was like this, and therefore God must be like that too. And no, God is the perfect father, not, not an imperfect father. And he's a father who will never reject his children. So though people may not always be good to us, God will be. You can look again down at this uh, verse 13. It says, David writes, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That, that ultimately, no matter what may happen, right, there are adversaries, false witnesses. This is all being listed off in verse 11 and 12, right? Adversaries, enemies, false witnesses, people breathing out violence. Like the reality of a broken world and broken relationships are here. And yet we can have faith and confidence that we will look, see with our own eyes the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, which is ultimately in heaven with Christ. We will see a day where there will be no more brokenness and no more ruin. And that can, can give us confidence and courage in the midst of our fear. All right, let's look at one last verse, the final verse, verse 14. He kind of sort of bookends his, his psalm by starting with, we don't need to be afraid because the Lord is our light and salvation. And he closes with this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. We, we have to, I think one of the things we have to do in, in this life is get some courage. <laughs> like, I, I think that that's not just a natural default thing that happens to us. This is something that we are, we are called to be strong 
and let your heart take courage because otherwise the fear will just run rampant. We, we can take courage in this life through Christ ultimately because he has overcome all of the brokenness of the world through his death and resurrection. John 16, 32 and 33, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, speaking to his 12 apostles, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This psalm and the whole Bible affirms that life is difficult, it's painful, it is challenging. David is acknowledging that he has enemies that are trying to kill him, armies that are rising up against him, parents who reject him, people lying about him. And you, maybe we haven't faced all those things. Maybe we face some of them. Maybe we face things that don't get mentioned here. But the question is, is how can we live in a world that is so tumultuous and so difficult? And, and the answer is we live it through courage in Christ. We know that Christ has overcome the world. He has told us that. He's told us that as he's on the eve of his crucifixion and his death and ultimately resurrection on the other end of that. And so his life and death and resurrection overcomes all the brokenness of this world so that whatever comes to us, we can take courage. I told you I'd give you another Lewis quote, so here we go. Okay. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote an, an essay it's one of his lesser known ones or lesser appreciated ones. I think it's, it's one we all need to, to read more often. It's, it's entitled, How to Live in an Atomic Age. Okay, so that might sound real relevant to you uh, right now. I, you know, we do live in an atomic age, by the way. There's still bombs out there. So, um, but Lewis was writing those words in the 1960s um, at the height of the Cold War and the fear of the bomb. Um, and, and Lewis really displays in this essay, he doesn't overtly get all preachy here, um, but he gets really practical and just basically shows us, I, I kind of take this as, a, as a, a, a display of courage and calm and confidence in light of living in a world that is chaotic and uncontrollable. Um, I, it's a long quote and I won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the very back end of it. And, and here's what he says. He says, the first action to be taken in light of living in a chaotic world is to pull ourselves together. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb or anything else, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but a microbe can do that, so they do not need to dominate our minds. I think that is not 
necessarily directly tied to this text. But I think that that idea of courage in the face of uncertainty is so needed. It was needed in Lewis's day. It is needed now. It will always be needed because we always live in a world in which we can't control all the things. And so we have one of two options. We can either let the fear dominate our lives and just spend all of our time thinking about all the things that may be happening, whether it be bombs or whatever else, right? That's just the example he's using. We could sit around and just be spinning our, our wheels fearful, or we can pull ourselves together, take courage, take courage, that's what the scriptures say, and wait for the Lord. And personally, I think that's a much better alternative that we can be found whatever may come doing the things that God has called us to do. Whether that just be living the human way of life, worship and prayer and scripture reading, but even the more daily mundane things that are valuable and important, like teaching or playing with our kids or hanging out with our friends. These things are all good parts of life and those things can, can be experienced and found more joy in as we live in the courage that Christ gives us because his presence is with us. He is our light and our salvation. So the key here is to not let our minds be dominated by our fear. And so much of that depends on what we fill our minds with. Are we filling our minds instead with God's word or the things that scare us? I think there's something weird right now in our, in our social media, digital age, in which we, we almost like being scared. It, it seems like there's something weird happening right now. And like we just keep going back to the sources that freak us out, which is Twitter mostly, I think, and Facebook probably somewhat, and the news in general. You know, just How about we just don't read those things for, for every moment of our day? And instead, we should focus on that which brings us hope and joy and life and peace, which is God's word, and surround ourselves with God's people because the Lord is our light and our salvation. And we need that reminder. So if he is that, as scripture says, who should we fear? The answer is nobody. Right? Romans 8, Romans 8. Let's go there. I wasn't even planning to go here, but let's go here. Because this is my last sermon till sabbatical, and it would be terrible if I didn't preach Romans 8 for a little bit. So uh, it says this. I'll just read this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let those words sink into your heart. Read them until you believe them. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are our light and our salvation, that you are the one that we can cling to in the darkness, that you are the one that we can be confident in, that you will never forsake us, never reject us, never turn us aside because of what you've done for us through Christ. And we pray that we would believe that and live in that and entrust our hearts to that, even as we, we experience the feelings of fear and we experience the brokenness of the world, and we understand that things are difficult in this life. We, we, Lord, we need your help to pivot our hearts to you in the midst of all those things, and to help us to not live in our, in our fear, but to live in faith in you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.